Welcome to the Living Well Podcast from Morneau Chappelle. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. If you've been unable to maintain the same level of productivity at work during this seemingly never-ending crisis, you're certainly not alone. If you've been suddenly stuck at home working on your laptop and during Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call, you might, in fact, be experiencing burnout. COVID-19 has not made it easy to parent, as we've heard in other episodes, and nor has it made it any easier to hold down a 9-to-5, 40-hour work week. Living at work takes its toll on all of us, both physically and mentally. In today's episode, we're going to dive back into everything related to working from home and dealing with mental illness at work. This is a compilation and a distillation of a conversation that we had uh, a few weeks ago, so we pulled it all back together again so you can get the best bits. Starting with Marianne Bainton. Marianne's a director of collaboration at Workplace Strategies for Mental Health, a part of Canada Life. She says that she's been faced with the challenge of creating new techniques for employers to use if and when they need to support their employees while they're not in the office. With the pandemic, what we've been looking at is really how to help people get in touch with emotions to actually tap into the wisdom of them and for leaders to become more authentic, more genuine in the way that they lead in order to both validate and um, make it safe for employees to talk about it. From a technical aspect, we're turning a lot of our uh, resources that would have been face-to-face into a more easy-to-use format for virtual. And we're also looking at how to make things even more bite-sized, if you will, because people are so overwhelmed with information and technology right now, we want to make it easy for them to consume things that help with workplace mental health. Marianne says that everyone is dealing with a mental health struggle, whether they've been clinically diagnosed with an illness or not. I am very impressed with the resilience shown by individuals, including individuals who have a diagnosis of a mental illness, and by the leaders who are learning as they go on how to support employees more effectively. It's a safe work environment that makes all the difference, especially at times like this. The standard itself came about in part because when we were accommodating people, we recognized that in a what we now call a psychologically safe workplace, it was really easy to accommodate someone and get them back to work and able to do their job and to function. But in a conflict-ridden, pressure uh, organization, a psychologically unsafe organization, it was much harder. So we were thinking the environment impacts every single person. And if we start there, instead of waiting for somebody to falter, waiting for them to behave in a certain way, we can help them before um, it gets acute. And in fact, there's many people with depression and anxiety who don't ever miss a day's work because work is a refuge to them rather than a place of torture. It's nothing new to treat someone with a mental illness just as you would treat someone with a physical illness or disability. Marianne describes the mental health and safety resource she helped to create in workplaces across the country. You know, it's interesting because I think when we, when I started this journey, which was 
now over 15 years ago, uh, we had exactly the same analogy, right? If I had a broken leg, if I had cancer, you wouldn't treat me like that. And I think we have evolved a lot where we understand the value of asking questions instead of making platitudes like take care of yourself or do this or whatever. And uh, supporting employee success is a tool that we created with occupational health professionals from across the country. And they really helped us take what I think are three simple questions to ask people and turned it into a full um, comprehensive resource for people who don't feel comfortable asking the questions. And the questions that I would ask is, what is it that you need in order to do a good job and go home at the end of the day with some energy left over so that you're taking care of yourself, but you can do your job? Simple question, but very critical. Second question is, what are you going to do differently to support your own success, your own well-being, so that the individual understands that it's not just about you following the rules and getting your job done. You have to take responsibility and control of what you need at work. And then the last question is, again, one where people would often just wait for something to happen. But instead, we say up front, what will happen if you're not well again? What will happen if things get worse? What will happen if there's a performance issue? How can I, your leader, approach you in a way that you know I'm trying to be supportive? That's the approach mm -hmm. that we take. Mm -hmm. Marianne says that the pandemic is pushing us to work on our own self-awareness and resilience more so than ever before. She says it's part of taking care of ourselves and ultimately the broader community. Well, my optimistic, hopeful idea about that is that all of us are going to become more self-aware. All of us are going to understand that we all have resilience. It's just a muscle that you need to build up. And I think that we're going to value connection uh, to people in a way that we never did before. And I also think that the pandemic is making us understand our interdependence, really understand that no matter what your spiritual beliefs are, we are all connected. And it, that in and of itself means that your well-being, your uh, being able to thrive directly impacts me. And so I want it for you as much as I want it for me. Jennifer Fisher lives in the United States. She's chief well-being officer for Deloitte. She talked with me about the ways in which mental health issues are spoken about in corporate America and specifically at her company. This is something that has certainly been on the radar screen in, in, in corporate America um, for, for many years. Um, you know, the way in which different organizations have been responding to it um, or, or planning for it uh, probably varies quite, uh, quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I can speak directly to you know, what we've been doing at, at Deloitte, and this is something that has been part of our overall employee well-being approach for for many years, um, and you know, it, it really you know started as you know mental health awareness, but quickly shifted into mental health literacy, hmm. and you know, making sure that it's it's you know that it's not that we're just aware, but that that we understand as employees, as colleagues, as individuals, um, you know, 
what mental health is, what mental illness is, what the signs and symptoms are um, for for our colleagues, for ourselves, for our families, um, and you know, and that it is something that that impacts so many of us. Um, but it's also you know whether it's us struggling with with the mental illness or or with our mental health, um, you know it. It, it shows up at work. You know, it could be somebody in our family that is struggling, but it's still going to show up to work. Jennifer says that emotional literacy is about understanding where a behavior is coming from and how your colleagues can learn to respond to that. Am I acting differently? Have I retreated? Am I lashing out? Am I, you know, and so I think from a education and like I said, literacy perspective, it is it is really about kind of the understanding of what drives some underlying behaviors, um, as opposed to any individual or a colleague you know, being able to diagnose me, right? It's more about them understanding what some of the behaviors that present themselves, regardless of what it is that I'm struggling with related to my mental health. But what are, you know, it's, it's what are the, the, the behaviors that might present themselves? Jen says in order to truly erase stigma attached to mental illness, Workplaces need to be totally transparent and open in talking about it as it is. You know, maybe it feels better for people to call it behavioral health instead of calling it mental health or mental illness. And so I'm very much an advocate for let's call it what it is. You know, right. let's normalize the conversation. Let's not talk about it as something else, but let's talk about it as it is. Because, again, it's something that in any in some way is going to affect all of us at some point in our lives, whether it's us, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a family member, a friend, um, it, it impacts all of us. And, and so we don't do ourselves or anyone else any favor calling it something else just because it feels better to call it something else. And we need to remove that stigma and, and call it what it is and be okay with what it is. Jen says one thing that helps her is creating boundaries for herself. She encourages others to actively work on and stick to setting their own boundaries at home, too. What I what I can say and what, you know, I have literally been preaching is is boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Right. Um, it, it's more important now than ever when life and work are sitting on top of each other in, in the same room um, to to create boundaries for yourself, to stick to those boundaries, to communicate those boundaries with your colleagues, even within your own home, if there are others um, you know, that, that you're living with, um, so that, so that everybody's on the same page and they, they know what your needs are, um, and you know what their needs are. So you can help support and, and respect those as well. But I mean, you know, boundaries are, 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 are interesting, right? Cause we can set boundaries, but if we, if we don't ourselves stick to them, we can't blame other people for overrunning them. Something Jen is happy about is how creative her coworkers have gotten as the pandemic has progressed. Actually, this has been kind of one of the, the really interesting and, and rewarding parts of, of my role over the past several months to see the creativity of teams and of team leaders um, to to really make sure um, that that, you know, that we are that we're staying connected, that we are you know being intentional. And I think that's key. Right. Um, you know, a lot of the informal, um, you know, networking, mentoring, on-the-job training, you know, human connection things that just happened as a course of, you know, being together and being co-located. We have to now be much more intentional about that. Johnny Jacobs is a finance director for Starbucks across Europe. He's also involved with mental health initiatives launched by the global coffee chain to better support their partners at this time. We went on to create the most incredible campaign 
an initiative and it's just really stuck with me since and something which I've realized I've got a huge passion for both in terms of organizations but also for the accounting and finance community and also for young people and there's so many different reasons and passions um, that I won't bore you with that I just love getting involved with on the subject because it can make such a massive mm. impact. Johnny is no stranger to struggling with mental health. He says a lot of his childhood was spent pushing away emotional issues. And I've been, I feel hugely fortunate to be sat where I am today. And if I can use you know, my position or if I can use any of my experience to support organizations or people, then you know, I see it as, as something that I should do. Johnny says it wasn't until he started working at Starbucks that he began to understand the importance of the feelings that he'd been ignoring for years. But looking back as a kid, a standard day for me might be doing the long walk to school, come back, go home via the supermarket, work out what to eat for dinner, go home, make dinner, do the household chores, do the homework, go to bed. And it was quite a quite a kind of not not the best existence. I think you learn to become an adult quite quickly. So I think taking that into the workplace, I'm a, I'm a very task focused and multitask focused person. Um, and I would potentially block things out. It wasn't probably until, well, it wasn't until a number of years ago where I started to go through a lot of management training, for example, and run bigger teams, that I understood the concept of emotional intelligence more and more and more, emotional intelligence of me as an individual, but also within teams and of the business. Johnny says he's proud of what Starbucks has done to take care of their employees all around the world. So at Starbucks, we've got a fantastic mission, which is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, which I think is is amazing. What, what, what a fantastic mission to, to really get behind. And mid last year, a number of store leaders came together for a session to discuss mental well-being and emotional health. And I think that was a real moment. And in that, they created the Mental Health Matters Forum with nearly 5,000 partners contributing to that. And hundreds of thousands of partners have also participated in what's called the third place development series, which is around tackling topics like things like loneliness and vulnerability and courage, for example. And I think and what I've certainly seen, because I've been at Starbucks for a number of months now, I've seen us roll out and really get involved with mental health and really have it as, as an agenda on the agenda. And things like our employee assistance program, our partner life program, which includes things like counselling sessions, and we also extended that during COVID-19 as well to recognise that people, our partners, we call our colleagues partners, might need a little bit extra support. And over in North America, for example, we've launched Headspace, which of course we know is a, is a suite of comprehensive benefits to support individuals with their mental health and, and well-being. People who are struggling with mental ill health could also be dealing with things like unemployment or loneliness. Mental health is democratized, so we've all clearly got it. We can all suffer from, from mental ill health as well. And we can see the huge impact that COVID-19 is having on our mental health. And there was a study in, in April-May time that showed that loneliness, for example, went up from 10% to 25%. And the same with anxiety and depression, we're seeing those rates also increase. But employment is one of the most strongly evidenced detriments of mental health. And 20% of, of those people who are unemployed reported an experience of poor mental health. That's double the people who are in paid employment. 
So I think it's pretty fair to say that those people who have financial challenges or unemployed could potentially suffer from degrees of mental health. So th- 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 there's a massive challenge there. He also says that companies have a role to play in supporting their employees as best they can during this time. Companies can make a huge difference, I think, if they, they can act with kindness. And that's often what, what I'm observing at the moment. And in talking to leaders of various organisations, that point of kindness is quite important. And I think what, what, what I say to, to individuals is if, if you are doing that, for example, how could you demonstrate kindness? How could you support people? And it could be, for example, saying, well, there may be redundancies. But what we could do is extend out an employee assistance programme potentially for a longer period of time. That could be something that organisations might want to do. But there's definitely ways to go about things that I think can, can support people in these tough times. Mm. And I also suspect that if we look at any potential global economic downturn, not that I'm an economist, as, as, you, as you quite rightly point, point out, if, if that does happen, clearly there'll be even more impacts coming and right. organisations can play a role in supporting people during that. You've been listening to a special episode of the Living Well podcast from Morneau Chappelle. I'm your host, Mark Hennick, and I want to offer a sincere thank you to Marianne Baton, Jennifer Fisher, and Johnny Jacobs uh, for talking about the many ways it's possible to create safe spaces at work for employees dealing with mental illnesses and for everybody. Taking care of ourselves and each other is how we'll get through this together. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan Project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford.